character matters. There should be no debate about the truth of that statement. But should it matter in Hall of Fame voting? The debate rages on in baseball. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! The very reason why there is an In the Bullpen podcast, why I record it and drop it each week, is to look at baseball. Baseball at the professional level, baseball at the amateur level, baseball news on the field, baseball news off the field. To look at all of this from the perspective of the truth that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that means he is King and Lord of the game of baseball at all levels on and off the field. And to look at what is happening in the game of baseball at all levels on and off the field from a biblical perspective. And I try to do so with passion, but I try not to open up the microphone and rant and rave. That's an obvious disclaimer for something coming up. I have to say that to begin this episode, there might be some ranting and raving that takes place. On Thursday, Jeff Passan tweeted out the news that Major League Baseball will not require minor league players to be vaccinated in the 2022 season. Now, I'm not going to rant and rave about that. I'm going to say, yes, that is exactly what they should do or not do. Amen. And all of that. The problem is, as you continue to read his tweet, though that is the case with players, they're not going to be required to be vaccinated. Managers, coaches, and on-field staff must be quote, up-to-date, end of quote, on COVID vaccinations to have in-person contact with players. Then we're informed that if you fit in that category, managers, coaches, and on-field staff, and you have not yet been vaccinated, you still got time. You got time to get it done before the start of minor league spring training. Some organizations start minor league spring training in early to late February. Everybody by early March. Now, of course, anybody that fits into the category of managers, coaches, and on-field staff who currently are unvaccinated are so because they have very strong convictions on not being vaccinated. Somehow, I don't think that will change. However, when you might lose your job, and that's what they're saying essentially, or at least maybe they have to reassign you so you have no in-person contact, I'm not sure, Things can change. Now, Jeff Passan, who's a good reporter and is doing his job, and I don't know why he asked for this, whether he saw the radical inconsistency that I see, I don't know. But nonetheless, he reached out to the league for comment. And then he writes that a spokesman from Major League Baseball provided this statement. So this is the statement he received back. It begins, Our expert consultants... Now, I'm pausing here because I'm giving you all a chance to hit the pause button, 
find a bucket or the nearest bathroom and vomit. Our expert consultants. You know what that is? That's the world's way, especially right now, that's the world's equivalent to thus saith the Lord. Our expert consultants. I'll continue. Have advised that fully up-to-date vaccination of all on-field staff and others with close player contact provides a safer environment in which to prevent infection and transmission. Reasonable accommodations will be considered for staff members who receive an exemption to this requirement. Such exemptions will be considered on an individual basis and accordance with state law. We continue to strongly encourage vaccination among minor league players and make resources available to minor league teams and players towards that goal, or toward that goal, I'm sorry. So there it is. This is, I would, I would say on the surface, anybody should say, silly. And that's putting it nicely. Oh, no, no, we're not going to require it of the players, but those who interact with the players, we're going to require it of them. I, I don't get it. Well, I actually, I do get it. You know, last week I mentioned that there were no negotiations going on all around us, right? We were talking about the negotiations for a new collective bargaining agreement, and I mentioned we're, we're being negotiated with all the time. Here is Exhibit A. And part of the reason this is something that really bothers me is both on the broad aspect of it, in other words, how it's going to affect a lot of people and how ridiculous it is and how it's pushing a narrative, but it hits closer to home for me than that. I have a friend who is a coach. He is a coach. He's been in professional baseball for several years as a player and then as a coach. He has not been vaccinated. He is not going to get vaccinated. And unless they give him an exemption, and I'm not even sure he would apply for an exemption. He's got some conviction and courage. He may not. I don't know. I didn't ask him. But unless something happens, here's what's going to happen. Sometime in the next month or so, he's going to lose his job. And you see, his wife is expecting a baby, I believe it's in May, sometime this spring or early summer. And so here's the decision he has to make. And he might not be alone. This is just one I know about. Do I cave? And he has already made that decision. I am not going to. And therefore, unless something happens that allows me to keep my job without me in any way compromising my convictions, I'm not going to have a paycheck and I'm not going to have medical coverage when my wife gives birth to our first child. I believe putting in a, a person in a situation like that over this is wicked. We're going to talk about the character clause as it regards voting for Hall of Famers. But if we had a character clause applied to the industry of Major League Baseball and what they've been doing, especially over the last couple of years, and what they're doing with this mandate, for lack of a better word, I would say they would fail miserably to measure up to any kind of a character clause. All right, let's move on. So there was CBA news over the past week, but the main talk of last week was the Hall of Fame voting and the announcement that was made last Tuesday. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, and Kurt Schilling, all on their 10th and final year being on the ballot, did not get elected into the Hall of Fame. 
only David Ortiz did, and he did so on his first ballot. I want to get to that here in a moment, but first, some other news that hit very close to home that I just read about this morning, about an hour before I began recording this episode. Jeff Innes, who was a relief pitcher, spent his whole big big league career with the New York Mets. I believe his career ran from 1987 to 1993, died as he was battling cancer. Jeff Innes was a very valuable bullpen member for those New York Mets teams, and he was my teammate, and he was a guy that I appreciated and felt honored to be a teammate with, and and, and when I read it, it was like, wow, he's only a year older than me, 59 years old as he passed away, and so our prayers, our condolences to his family and to his friends, and uh, like I said, I was honored to be his teammate. He was a very good pitcher, and he was a guy that was a very good teammate. And I I think I've mentioned it sometime well in the past on an episode. He said to me one time, New York is a great city to play in if you're mediocre. And I thought, that's a great quote. I don't think he was mediocre. I might have been, but he wasn't mediocre. He was very valuable as a relief pitcher for the New York Mets. Moving on now. So more happened last week as it regards the collective bargaining negotiations. There were some apparently positive steps of progress that were made, but there are still a number of people that are close to the game, have inside information about the negotiations, that have very real concerns that spring training games will be canceled, at the very least. Since nothing concrete has happened, we'll pass that by for now. Once something concrete does happen, then I'll try to cover it more in depth. Also last week, I mentioned that I was going to have David Nilsson as a guest in the bullpen, and I was thinking it might happen for today's episode. I'm actually going to interview him, Lord willing, later tonight. And if all of that works well, it's later tonight for me, Monday night for me, Tuesday morning for him in Australia, then that interview will come out next week, and I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know if I will get to this question, if we'll have time, but there's a very interesting story and a tie between David Nilsson and David Ortiz, Big Poppy. Speaking of Big Poppy, David Ortiz was the only player selected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. As I mentioned, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Kurt Schilling, all on their final year of eligibility, not elected into the Hall of Fame. They did not get the required 75% of the votes. I think David Ortiz got just shy of 78%. I believe he is a Hall of Famer. I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And whether I believe that or not, he deserves to be congratulated. It is a monumental achievement as a baseball player. As a bit of a side note, the man who received the highest percentage of votes without getting elected in who is the only one of those higher percentage of votes that will be on the ballot next year was Scott Rowling. And so he appears almost definitively to be on his way to the Hall of Fame and maybe even next year. So going back to Big Poppy, as I mentioned, I believe he belongs. He had a very great career and is arguably the best or the most clutch postseason hitter in baseball history. So I have no problem with David Ortiz making it, but I have a problem with Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa not making it, as all four players 
have in some way been rumored at least. There's more evidence for some of these players than others. I think the most evidence is against Bonds and Clemens and then far less against Sosa and even less against Big Poppy. But all of them have been tied to PED use. And so my question is, how does Big Poppy make it in on the first ballot with about 78% of the votes and Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa don't make it in over the course of 10 ballots, 10 years? And uh, Jason Stark said, and he, he has these kind of numbers, he said that 67% of the writers, so it's the Baseball Writers Association of America that votes on the Hall of Fame, that 67% of the writers that did not vote for Bonds, Clemens, or Sosa did vote for David Ortiz. And I don't get that. Now, I believe that all of them should be voted for. And I even get it if somebody decides to vote for none of them, though I disagree with that, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But I don't quite understand why Big Poppy, I don't want to say got a pass because that may not have happened, but why he was treated differently than the other three guys. And I actually thought this before, and I think it was Britt Giroli who, who tweeted it out. What if Barry Bonds had David Ortiz's personality? And I thought the same thing. You know, Big Poppy's such a likable, gregarious guy. What if that was Bonds, or for that matter, even Clemens? Now, Sosa was very likable, maybe not as outgoing as, as Big Poppy, but did that play into it? Well, I don't know. It seems what plays into it is the tie to BEDs. But a couple of things that I want to make sure that we understand. First of all, there can be no ex post facto rules that were broken. Steroids were first tested in Major League Baseball in 2003. But I believe the first year they were officially banned by Major League Baseball was 2005. And I believe for HGH, that would be 2011. So nobody prior to those years can be called a cheater. Another thing banned, I believe, in 2005 were amphetamines. And I actually heard a reporter bring this up for the first time. The vast majority of the people that have a plaque in the Hall of Fame used amphetamines. They are PEDs. But they didn't break any rules in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, any more than steroid users did. They may have broken the law. Those things may have been illegal. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That's nothing to just say, ah, it doesn't matter. But they didn't cheat the game of baseball. It may not be a great analogy, but some players break the speed limit laws to get to the ballpark to play the game. They've broken the law, but you can't say they cheated the game. These people may have broken the law, depending on what it was in our nation or in any given state, but until they were officially banned from Major League Baseball, you can't, by any true definition of the word, call somebody a cheater. Secondly, maybe even more importantly, we can't have a presumed guilt. There's got to be proof. Again, I understand there's a lot more evidence against, let's say, Bonds and Clemens than there is against Sosa, and apparently more against Sosa than there is against Big Poppy. But nonetheless, you can't presume any of them guilty. You've got to have proof. And my view has been that would mean either an admission of guilt or a positive test. So for me, I would vote for Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa. I would not vote for Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. But I mentioned, I think, about a year ago, there's a writer, longtime writer in Pittsburgh, sports writer, covers the Pirates, John Parado, who has the view that there needs to be a conviction in court. And the longer I think about that, 
the more I find myself moving in that direction. Proof is I just come out and say, I cheated. Or proof is in a court of law. And Paul says, if we don't run according to the rules, we don't win the prize. So if I admit I cheated, or it's proven in a court of law, I cheated, and I'm still probably on the positive test, but again, I think I'm moving more toward the proof in the court of law, then we say, didn't run according to the rules, no prize. But we cannot presume guilt. We cannot do so, regardless of all the circumstantial evidence that we have. We just can't do that. So again, Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa belong in the hall just as much as David Ortiz as it regards their ties to PEDs. Obviously, nobody, very few people, one or two, maybe nobody, belongs in the Hall of Fame based upon what he did on the field more than Barry Bonds. You might argue Hank Aaron. You might argue Willie Mays. I don't know who else you might put before him. But nonetheless, Barry Bonds is in a serious conversation as to who the best offensive baseball player in the history of the game was. Now, part of the issue is something that is known as the character clause. So when the Baseball Writers Association of America votes whether or not Bonds is going to go in or Ortiz is going to go in or whoever, there's a character clause, and that is supposed to be taken into consideration. And this is causing a lot of problems. And there are many people, both those who vote now and those who once had a vote, who thinks it needs to be removed. And they bring up things like, there are a lot of people that were not good people in the Hall of Fame. The first ever Hall of Fame class included Ty Cobb. Obviously, by what he did on the baseball field, he is a first ballot, first class Hall of Famer. But he was not a good human being at all, so they bring him up. Another name mentioned, and in particular by Buster Olney, is Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He is the commissioner that had that clause written into the voting process. And what Buster Olney says is, he was a segregationist. Why am I going to listen to what he says about a character clause when he has a significant character flaw, at the very least? That's a good question. But here's the thing, really, when it comes down to it. Whether the character clause is there or not there, if there is no objective standard as to what character is and what kind of lack of character keeps you out and what lack of character doesn't keep you out, there's always going to be ambiguity in voting. If there is no objective, unchanging standard, then I might decide, well, the character flaw of David Ortiz I can overlook, but not of Barry Bonds. Or how about Kurt Schilling? Schilling has absolutely zero ties to PED use. As a matter of fact, he was a very outspoken opponent of it. As it regards his character both on and off the field during his very lengthy playing career, it was impeccable. Not sinless, none of us are, but impeccable. He was a tremendous player who did a tremendous amount of good in the communities and and even beyond that in which he played. And all of his teammates will talk about it. He's not in because of something that happened at least a few years after his playing career was over. And I don't follow what he's put out on social media or anywhere else, but it was very offensive to some people. Well, was it objectively offensive? Is it objectively a flaw in his character that ought to keep him out of the Hall of Fame? Well, the writers thought so. 
But if there's no objective standard, it's just my personal opinion on the matter. So there will always be ambiguity. Now, the easy way might be to remove the character clause. But if it remains, how do we handle it? Well, we have to have an objective, unchanging moral standard. And you know where I'm going. It's got to be based upon the Word of God. After all, if I'm not going to vote for somebody to get into the Hall of Fame because I believe he fails to meet the character clause requirements because he cheated the game, okay, but then what if he cheated on his taxes? What if he cheated on his wife? You see, again, it is all ambiguous and it is all relative if it is not based upon the Word of God. Now, most of the men who did not vote for these men tied to PEDs, Bonds, Clemens, and Sosa, is fundamentally because they believed they cheated and they had an unfair advantage. Well, again, they didn't cheat until it was officially banned in Major League Baseball. I played during the steroids era, though I think it really picked up more in the late 90s and into the 2000s, and I was done after 96. I don't feel cheated. I never use steroids or any other performance-enhancing drugs, amphetamines, or any of that. I don't feel cheated. I know there were people that I pitched against that did. I did everything that I thought was necessary and morally right to prepare myself to compete. And so did they. I may disagree with the choices they made, but I don't feel cheated because it wasn't against the rules when I was playing. Now, as these writers say, remove the character clause, and then we don't have to worry about it, we just put the best players in the Hall of Fame, that might happen. But until then, until they declare that the the character clause is out, there are writers who believe that they cannot in good conscience, vote for those who have ties to PED. And they cannot do so because of the unfair advantage that it provided those players. Now, setting aside for a moment the vital difference between accusation and proof, and again, it is a vital difference and very important, I am curious about something. For those writers who have refused to vote for the PED guys, and and they have done so because of the unfair advantage, Are these same writers, or would they if they had the opportunity, are they or would they speak or write approvingly of transvestite men competing in women's sports? But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.